Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the MMA Fan Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you... Stu and Blake. Hello and welcome to the MMA Fan Podcast. I'm Stu Whiffin, sitting opposite me, Blake Harrison. How you doodling? I am doodling very, very well, sir. (laughs) Top doodling over here. Um, Yeah, no, very, very excited because... Why? We've, well, we've got one hell of a guest on. Um... You all know because you've you've clicked on the episode, and I'm sure it says the name of the person that we're talking to. But I mean, the only ever British UFC champion, a guy who's very much had a, a, a Cinderella story in the UFC. He's probably is one of the. It seems sounds cliche to say, but the closest thing you'll get to a Rocky film in terms of a UFC career or an MMA career, this guy has had quite an incredible career coming from uh coming from manchester a small town called clitheroe and uh and going on to become a ufc champion and in his championship fight he basically well he, he did he, he knocked out the champion a guy that beat him only recently and he did it with one eye incredible isn't it what a story absolutely who are we talking about should we just go straight into it no no i want to tell people that as soon as you got chatting and you started telling Michael what a fan you was, all of a sudden Michael starts getting overexcited and telling you what a fan he is of you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> he's an in-betweeners fan. Oh, he's got great taste. I thought I couldn't love him anymore. And then he does that. Um, yeah, no, that was pretty amazing. I didn't really know what to say to that. <laughs> I was pretty shocked. So I kind of thought to myself, ah, oh, like he's been in America a long time. He may, I don't know, maybe he's not really seen much of the in-betweeners. You know, he's there gallivanting with Vin Diesel and whoever else he's hanging out with these days. Probably doesn't care about some twat off the in-betweeners. But he said he was a fan of the show. 
That's nice. Absolutely. It's a great chat, people. Uh, as you'd imagine, Michael's super honest and open. It's a really lovely chat. Um, it's a nice long one. It's, it's, this, uh, it's around the hour mark, this one. So we really sort of get a chance to, to pick Michael's brains, ask him loads of questions about the upcoming um, film Bispin, um, which is out on March the 21st. There is also an exclusive uh, premiere at uh, the Manchester Film Festival on March the 14th. If you can get a ticket for that, good luck. That's going to be Michael's hometown, so uh, I imagine that's going to be a big one, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And and we've seen the film. The film is great. So yeah, go and go and check that out. And uh, shall we just get on with the podcast? Let's do it, ladies and gentlemen. Here is the only ever British UFC champion, Michael the Count. <laughs> Mate, I'm going away. I ain't told you yet, have I? And I'm a little bit worried that when I'm away, I'm not going to be able to access the big event. I don't know what to do. Ah, well, what you need, mate, is that Nord VPN. You know, just with one click, you can flick your location back to the UK, wherever you are in the world, and you won't miss any of the big events and all that kind of stuff that you're subscribing to in the UK. Oh, right. So I can only, it's only for like big events and stuff like that. No, mate. It's anything that you're subscribing to. So maybe you want to watch a bit of all four, get a bit of in-betweeners in you. You know, that'll work. Maybe you want to watch the multi-award winning A Very English Scandal on BBC iPlayer. That'll work. Maybe you want to make sure you don't miss uh... the new series of Kate and Koji that comes out on ITV. That'll work abroad as well. Just flick your location over to the UK, mate. Are these all shows that you're in? Mate, don't change the subject. We're talking about NordVPN here. It's not all about me. But that'll work. It'll all be fine. And in regards to sort of cybersecurity, for instance, I I might be on holiday and I want to join the Dead Hand gang. Like, um, some of the sites might be prone to hackers. What's the kind of cybersecurity like? That's exactly what it's for. It's for cybersecurity. No one will get your personal data and information. All that stuff will be hidden away from those pesky cyber snoops. And it will keep you secure. Harrison, have you got a deal for this? Maybe I do, mate. So if you go to nordvpn.com forward slash MMA fan or use the code MMA fan, you can get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan, plus one month free and a bonus gift. Plus, it's all completely risk free because they have a 30 day money back guarantee. Oh, I am all over this. Give me that address again. It's nordvpn.com forward slash MMA fan or just use the code MMA fan and that will get you your discount. Lovely stuff. You are earlier than most of the people that we interview on this show. Don't worry. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know how it goes, mate, but I am a nightmare. So I do apologize, my bad, but uh, we're fucking here. Yeah. Let's go. Well, that's it. You're on the you other right? side of the coin now, aren't you? You're on the other side of the coin with like, whereas before you were the fighter turning up for the interviews a lot, I suppose now with the Believe You Me pod, you're uh, you're waiting on the fighters and you're like, bloody hell, are they going to turn up? Are they going to wind me up? Yeah, I hate it. I hate <laughs> it because I, I, I die inside every time. It's like, what is going on? Am I some kind of media member now? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I'm asking, like today I've got Calvin Cater jumping on my podcast. I'm like, mate, can you jump on my podcast? Before I was the guy that they were coming to yeah. me and now I'm going around cap in hand, begging for <laughs> interviews like some broke former washed up fighter with one eye. Hold on a minute. <laughs> well, let's let's flip the script back and make you the star of the show again. And let's, uh, oh, let's get on let's with it. Go. Let's say... 
A big warm welcome and a hello to Michael the Count Bisping. How are you, mate? How are you, mate? I'm great, guys. Thanks for having me on. Really, really appreciate it. Great to talk to you. Been a fan of the in-betweeners for many, many years. Oh, you've uh, made my life. But, uh, but yeah. You've made my life, Wonderful. mate. That's such a such a compliment. And I, uh, to be fair, we'll, oh, we'll get on to it later, how, how much of a fan I've been of you over, over the years. So uh, it's nice that it's mutual. It's nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Well, it's lovely to talk to you, fellas. And uh, yeah, man, nice to talk to you. Wonderful. Well, should we just scale it right back to start with, Blake? Yeah, let's do it. So, I mean, we always start this show with a, a kind of how you got into martial arts and, and how much that maybe was impacted by your upbringing, where you grew up. Was, I know it's Clitheroe. Was that an yep. area where you felt like you had to be tough? And did the area of Clitheroe um, influence your decision to get into mixed martial arts as a child or as a young man? Yeah, so, um, and, and by the way, and forgive my agent, so it's Stu and Blake. Do, yeah. do you guys do martial arts? Do you have any background in that type of stuff yourself, or are you just fans of the UFC? Uh, I, I, I've done Muay Thai for about 10 years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, all right, yeah, ju- ju- just wondered. So, yeah, listen, I can't sit here and pretend that I come from the fucking mean streets of Clitheroe, because Clitheroe is a lovely little town. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's not like I grew up in like the, the ghetto parts of Manchester or anything like that. Growing up in Clitheroe, it's a lovely, nice, old-fashioned market town. Lots of great people, you know. Um, I started doing martial arts, I think, when I was about eight years old. And in our house growing up, um, you know, it was kind of a volatile household, shall we say, uh, with respect. But it just was, you know. And then... I started doing martial arts, as I said, when I, when I was about eight, because I followed my older brother, Conrad. You know, I, I was tagging along. Me and him, uh, you know, we'd watch, like, the old Rocky movies or Jean-Claude Van Damme movies, whatnot, and then we'd always end up with a shadow box in the front room. That had turned into a proper fight, and by a proper fight, I mean, he'd kick the crap out of me. <laughs> and, and, and that's pretty much how it went. Uh, so, yeah, we went off to this local jiu-jitsu gym, uh, Japanese jiu-jitsu, which is very different from uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And, yeah... I. I was obsessed with it because I was crap at football as a kid. And, you know, growing up in England, primary school or whatever, if you're not good at football, you're not doing much else. So I, I, I had two left feet, but fortunately with uh, this martial arts, all of a sudden I was winning tournaments and things like that. And I was getting bloody trophies and my dad was sticking me in the local paper. So obviously for me, that felt great. Uh, and, and, and that's what kept me kind of obsessed with it because I was good at it. And I finally had an identity and, uh, Fortunately, all these years later, still paying off. So when, when was the point in your life where you went, oh, this, is, this isn't just a hobby. This isn't just something I do for fun that I'm good at. This is a way that I could actually pay the bills. Good question. And that came a very, uh, sorry, a, a lot longer, a lot later in life. You see, when I was younger, I never looked as martial arts as, as a way of making a living. And to be honest, until quite recently, it never really was unless you opened the string of dojos or whatever it was and you became like, you know, very, very heavily involved in the martial arts world. Um, being a competitive fighter as a martial artist, that's not something that ever occurred to me. I just loved it. I just enjoyed it. Now, I, I, I left school in 16. I stopped doing martial arts around a similar time. Um, so, yeah, I, I discovered house music and I wanted to be a DJ. And I kind of forgot about all that stuff. I thought, jumping about in a gi, in your pyjamas, come on, no, that ain't for me. I'm going to be a DJ now. I'm very much all or nothing. So I stopped doing that. 
And I put all my efforts into being a DJ. And of course, along with that, there was a, you know, I discovered alcohol around that time as well. So I just started hanging out with my mates. And while I had a great laugh, you know, for a few years, it was definitely a few years wasted. Do you know what I mean? But, but hey, listen, I was finding myself, you know what I mean, as much as anything else. And around that time, Clitheroe, as I said, is a lovely place, but it was, the, 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 I'd be lying if I didn't say there was kickoffs every weekend in the pubs. It was just, you know, and, and, and rightly or wrongly, I found myself involved in a lot of those. From there, you know, it, it's, it's a slippery slope. You know what I mean? I found myself getting arrested by the police. And unfortunately, when I was a kid, I was in the paper for doing martial arts. A couple of times, I'm, I'm ashamed to say it. I, I was now in the paper because I've been arrested, you know, at the weekend for getting in bar fights and things like that. And looking back now, it's a period of my life that I'm ashamed of. But when I was younger, as I said, growing up, you know, it was a volatile household. That's a very polite way of putting it. And I, as a young man at 16 years old, I didn't think there was anything wrong with cracking someone. If, you know, it, by the way, I'm not talking people. I was never a bully or anything like that. Do you know what I mean? But there, there was a lot of idiots about, and I was one of them, if I'm brutally honest. Ended up doing a short stint in prison. Again, very, very much the low point of my life. But they always say you've got to hit rock bottom before you figure that you've got to turn things around, you know? And it was that, and I thanked that judge. It was only 28 days. You know, it was only a public order charge. But, you know, I, I was never a criminal. I was never a drug dealer. I was never involved in it. I just got in a lot of bar fights because I was a young, angry kid. Do you know what I mean? And if, 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 you, if we went in depth, I have very much reason to be angry. Do you know what I mean? But I'm not going to get into that yep. stuff. But I did. I, I was angry at the world, do you know what I mean, for whatever reason. And, yeah, I made a lot of mistakes. Ended up going to prison. And it was when I was sitting there, sitting in the holding cell, waiting to go to my cell. I was looking around. And no offense to these people in there, but I'm like, I am fucking better than these people. I am not one of these. And I thought, wow, is this it? Is this where my life has come? I'm sitting in there, and there was a football game on some little TV high up. And like some guy, all right, mate, what are you in for? I'm like, fuck off, don't talk to me. I'm not one of you. Do you know what I mean? And I thought right then and there, I've got to make a change. So, and we had two children. Well, no, my first son was almost, my wife was pregnant. Do you know what I mean? I, my wife's pregnant, and I'm locked up on some petty public order charge just for being a a jack the lad, a dickhead, whatever you want to call it. Do you know what I mean? But just being dumb. As I say, I was never a criminal per se. Of course, acting the way I was in public is a criminal offence, but you know what I'm yep. saying. Um, how, how, how do you deal with well, that, Mike, at that point? Sitting in that cell and like knowing that you, your wife was pregnant and you know, you'd done something you shouldn't have done and you know, you're in there paying the price for it. Like, How did you sort of mentally process that and and, and, and kind of kind of, you know, accept why you was there and what you'd done and, and, and deal with the decisions of, like, what am I going to do moving forwards? Like, what was that process? What was going on in your head at that time? Well, it was a lot of shame, a lot of guilt. You know, i never forget, you know, it's one of the lowest parts of my life when my wife came to visit me in prison oh, with man. a bloody belly out here pregnant with my first child. You know what I mean? If, if that doesn't send a warning sign, if that doesn't tell you, I'll give you a kick up the backside and tell you, you got to get your act together here, then nothing will, yeah. do you know what I mean? Unless, you, unless you're a moron uh, or not a good person. So anyway, I came out, got a job, you know, hold, for the first time, held down a job for a while, just, you know, factory work, nothing special. And it was actually my boss at the time that said, he said, Michael, he said, what do you want to do for the rest of your life? You seem like a pretty switched on smart young kid, you know, he said, but before you know it, 20 years are going to pass by and you're not going to be young anymore. So give it some thought. So I did. And I kept coming back to the same thing every time. 
become a professional fighter because I, I was very good at it and I knew that and I knew it wasn't misplaced arrogance or anything like that. Do you know what I mean? I had a lot of success as a martial artist. I also had a lot of success in my extracurricular martial arts, shall we call it? <laughs> and I knew I could handle that. And I started looking into it and I tracked down this old sensei and he told me all about the explosion of mixed martial arts, the UFC, uh, and, and that, you know, you can make a real living. So anyway, it took a long time to answer your question. That is when I found out about it. I quit work a few months later and moved down to another city and I started my official training to become a mixed martial artist. And that was the turning point in my life. And even when we got the phone call that night, my wife has just been incredibly supportive. And if it wasn't for her, we wouldn't be having this conversation. She said that night when he called me up and told me all about it and he made me a proposition. He said, I'll cover your bills. If yeah, sorry. He made me an offer if I quit work and train under him and stuff. She said right then and then, I knew that was the turning point of our life. You know, and, and she was right. Yeah, she, she seems to have been such an amazing and positive impact on, on your life. You speak so, so fondly and, and, and so highly of her, both in, in, in the film that we'll, we'll get to a bit and, and also in, in your yeah. book in, in Quitters Never Win, which I read a while ago and I absolutely loved. There was, um, and I think we'll, we'll touch on, on your wife maybe later because she does seem to have had such an amazing impact on you and you speak so well about her. But there's one bit of, uh, of the book uh, of Quitters Never Win that scared the living shit out of me, Michael, if I'm honest. I, was, I read that. <laughs> I know where this yeah, is going. I read that part of the book and I was like, have you seen that episode of Friends where Joey puts The Shining in the fridge because he's so scared? That's basically what I was doing with your book at the time of reading this part of it. Um, I, uh, and I don't know how much you want to talk about it because it's not featured in, in the Bisping documentary. But Stu doesn't know this story. And it's the story of you going home late at night one night and a guy tries to break into your house while you're there. And honestly, it's, it's a terrifying score, story, and I don't want you to relive any trauma. <laughs> but if, you're okay, <laughs> well, if right. you're okay with talking about it, I'd love for you to kind of just tell any of the, our listeners that haven't heard it, and Stu as well, kind of basically what happened, because it is quite amazing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, no problem. And, and again, this just kind of exemplifies that I was upsetting some of the wrong people, yeah. you know, because I still to this day don't know who did this. But the story goes, it was, you know, I, I, I was partying a lot back then with my friends, you know. We went out a Thursday night. It was pretty epic. We went out the Friday night and then Saturday we, we, we were out drinking during the day. And I'm like, guys, I, I'm exhausted. I'm going home. Now, throughout those couple of nights that I had, there was, there, were, there was some kickoffs with some people around town, some maybe some people that shouldn't have been upset, some people, you know, whatever. Whatever, we won't go into those stories. Anyway, but, so it's Saturday afternoon or Saturday evening, about six, seven o'clock at night. I said, boys, I'm, that's it. I'm tapping out. I'm knackered. I'm going home. I need a good night's sleep. And I was living in this little flat by myself at the time behind this, well, above a greengrocer's, little, little old school greengrocer's. And, and you could only get in the flat one way, round the back, because obviously the front of it was a greengrocer's. You can't go through there. So I, I go into bed. I lie on the, so I didn't get into bed. I go into the flat and I lie on the bed, right? And it's an old like PVC, fake leather couch from like the seventies. It was grim. It was a crap, I, I, crap hole. I was seventeen or eighteen at the time, you know, paying fifty quid a week rent. Anyway, so I'm living there and I'm lying on the couch watching some crappy old movie. And as I'm led there, I hear like, like a knock, but it's quiet. I think that I hear someone knocking at the door. I think nah, carrying watching this film, and again, little knock. I think, hold on a minute, I did hear a knock. So I mute the TV. And I'm waiting there, 
I think, no, there's no one there because otherwise they'd still be banging. If someone's trying to get your attention, they bang a lot, you know? So I'm like, oh. And I'm just about to turn the, 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 the sound on the film again. And then all of a sudden, there it is, real quiet though. Another knock. I'm thinking, what is going on? Because as I say, if it was something that wanted me, it'd be boom, 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 boom. And my mates would be like, Mick, Mick, open the door. What are you doing? You know what I mean? So I tiptoe to the back door. And I'm, I'm standing there and the door's, you know, I'm just standing there in the door. It's like, it, it's about midnight now, 11.30, something like that. So it's pitch black outside and I'm standing there and I'm thinking, I'm losing my mind. What am I doing? Tiptoeing by the back door. And I'm about to walk to the front and then sure enough, there it is. Very quiet. Again, I'm like, there's someone there on the other side of that door that is knocking intermittently every couple of minutes, very, very quietly. Now I'm not a moron. I'm like, this is unusual. So I say, hello? And they go, like a muffled voice, hello? I'm like, who is it? They say, John. I said, John who? They went, John, as if you know, John. And in my mind, I said, yeah, it's John. <laughs> so I open the door and I get sprayed in the face with CS gas. So I fall back, I'm holding my arm, I'm like, oh. and then when I look up, there's a guy standing there, black boots, black, uh, like tracky pants, a black bomber jacket and a black balaclava slash Ku Klux Klan hood. It wasn't a normal balaclava. It had like a pointy top. And it just had two circles for the eyes and one circle for the mouth. And he's holding a can of petrol and he's throwing petrol all over with his teeth like that. I'll never forget his teeth. Throwing petrol all over the place. And I shit my pants. Like, you wouldn't believe. Now, you want to sound tough and you want to say in those situations, you're going to be a man and this and that. I'm telling you, mate, that scared the living daylights out of me. And I'm screaming my head off, who is it? Who is it? Anyway, so I run uh, from, I'm in the kitchen now. I run into like the little front room and there was a glass door between the front room and the kitchen. So I shut that door and and I pick up the phone and I dial 999. And I'm screaming, ah, you're going to send someone to my house? There's someone here to try to kill me. And they're like, calm down, sir. Calm down. Do you want fire, ambulance or police? I'm like, you don't understand. Send somebody now. I think I'm getting nowhere here. So I hang up the phone and I call up my ex-girlfriend. And by the way, this guy now has stopped swinging petrol around and he's just watching me. He's just watching me. And it's like he doesn't believe I'm actually talking to somebody. And I'm on, and then I call up my ex-girlfriend. And I'm like, send someone to the house to somebody. The police don't. Anyway, I'm panicking. And it was at that point, he drops the petrol and he pulls out a lump hammer, right? And he just comes marching towards me. And it's then I close the door, right? And I've got the door handle in one hand. I've got the phone in the other hand. And it's just like a wooden frame and the rest of it's all glass. And I'm there like that. And he comes right up to the glass and he gets the hammer and he just goes, ding, ding, ding on the glass like that. And I'm like, holy How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. 
This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Shit, right? And I'm thinking, who the hell could this be? And it's like a process of elimination in my mind. And I come up with this name of this guy that, unfortunately, I had a running with on Thursday. And I went, is that you? I said his name. I don't want to say his name here. Uh, and, and I said his name. And at that point, the guy took a step back. So I thought it was him. So I, I, I opened the door. He swings at me with a lump hammer. Anyway, he runs off in the night. He gets away. The police show up. They start investigating. And they found that he'd, because I, I was DJing at the time, and the bedroom window was open where the decks were. He'd climbed in through the window during the day. And where the phone was, there was a wire going up on the, on the little unit. And he'd been in during the day and he cut that wire. And the reason he cut the wire, because he thought he was cutting the phone line. Turns out he disconnected the doorbell. Do you know what I mean? Uh, and yeah, there you go. That's that. Never stayed another night in that apartment ever again. Went running back to my mum's house with my tail between my legs. But you And you, you <laughs> never found out who it was. I don't. I, I, I have an idea. Yeah. I have an idea. Because I was talking, and, and who it is, I was in this local nightclub one night and I'm pretty sure it's him. And I went up to him, I said, He's not called John. I said, all right, John. He goes, what are you talking about? You know my name. I mean, yeah, but you go as John sometimes, don't you? And he just kind of looked at me and then walked off. Yeah. Cool. But I don't know it was him. No. I don't know it was him. Do you know what I mean? So I can't be. But who, whoever you know it I mean? was, whether it was John. Was a psycho. Whether it was John air quotes yeah. or someone else. Do you reckon they've seen... Michael Bisping now become UFC champion and this just massive deal. That What a weird thing for them to be like, oh, I nearly set that guy's house on fire and he's now this yeah. incredibly... Like, so like, what a weird thing for them. Well, yeah, because like I've told this story personally before yeah. putting it in a book, you know what I mean? And some people always say, so where's that guy now? And this sounds bad. <laughs> he's dead. <laughs> and it's not like... I had anything. He died in a car crash, God bless him. Wow. So God rest his soul. But do you know what I mean? To, to, if you wanted to sound gangster, you could, you could go, ah, oh, mate, no chance. He's he, he's dead. Do you know what I mean? He's not about anymore. No, it wasn't like that. That guy who I thought it was sadly, very, very sadly passed away in a car accident. You know what I mean? So he's not around right. anymore. Bloody hell. What a story. That is, I mean, and you, you see what I mean, though? That I was reading that, and I'm not very good with um, anything remotely scary. I actually was in a, I'll plug my own horror film called The Kindred that's out now. Uh, but I, uh, I was at the premiere. I was at the premiere of that, and I was sat uh, on a row that was like the, the actors in the cast were kind of like given this other area, and there was like hardly anyone on my row. All the kind of like proper people were like downstairs, which is like the cast and that upstairs. And as soon as the violin starts going, and you know something's coming. 
I'm there watching it like through my eyes, like so, like pretending, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, and I'm yeah. like, I've got my eyes shut and all that. And I thought, it's all right. There's no one really around. No one will see that I'm scared. And the next thing I know, as I'm doing this, um, I get a tap on the shoulder, which scares me a little bit. And I get, it's a woman that's going, excuse me, can I go to the toilet, please? Because I was blocking her way to the toilet <laughs> because I was too scared to watch my own film that I was in. So listening <laughs> yeah, to yeah, your yeah. story in the book shit me up really badly. Oh, um, so, yeah, but yeah, thank you yeah, for retelling well, In that. our house, yeah, in our house, I never get to watch anything scary. My <laughs> wife or my son, you know, you think my, my son's 20 years old. You think he'd back me yeah. up on like a bit of a scary movie choice. But anything remotely spooky or scary doesn't get a look in this house. My wife says, I don't want to feel scared. So why would I watch something that is designed to make you scared? That is an emotion I don't like feeling. And I'm like, well, I guess you can't really argue with that logic. Do you know what I mean? But I'm like, we're missing out on a very wide genre of movies and TV shows. So next time we're led there in bed and we're struggling to find a show on Netflix, don't ask me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you, you mentioned your son there, and, uh, and I saw a great Instagram post uh, about a month ago where you're just coming from work, you, you, you're looking sharp, you've got your, you got your shirt and tie on, and straight away, Callum's on you, and he's trying to ragdoll yeah. you around the kitchen, and the rest of the family are laughing and filming. And I just wondered, like, obviously seeing that his career really progressing with him wrestling, like, what are your thoughts on him you know, potentially you know, finding himself in the world of combat sports? Yeah, I mean, obviously, my father always supported me, you know, and he drove me all over the country as a kid doing these tournaments, and he still to this day supports me in, in any way he can. So, obviously, I would support my son if that's a decision that he makes. Now, he does amateur wrestling. Hopefully, he's going to represent the UK at the Commonwealth Games and maybe go on to the Olympics. He's a very, very good wrestler, but out here in America, this just is part of the fabric. It's built into the culture. You know, at school, there's a wrestling team. You don't have to do it. And like, much like me, he wasn't very good at sports. But he's found a sport that he does love and he's on a scholarship at San Francisco State University. So I'm immensely proud of him. But he's a really, really smart kid and he's doing a master's degree in business. And I always say I fought so they don't they don't have to. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because it's not for everybody. I did this to provide my family with the best possible chance. He's living out here in Orange County. He's going to college in San Francisco. He's got more opportunities and things at his fingertips that he can go down. I never went to college. He's doing a goddamn master's degree, you know? So if he wanted to, as a competitor, I would, of course, appreciate it. But I don't think he will. I don't think he will. You know, a lot of the fighters on the UFC roster saying, everybody, oh, crap. I think I unplugged the microphone. Do you hear yeah, me? Okay. Yeah, you're back you on there. Come you come out, out for yeah. a second, but you're fine. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, my because there's a wire here. I, I'm very animated. Anyway, no. Uh, what was I saying? Um, you gotta be. You gotta have a little bit of a screw loose. Let's be honest. To a certain degree, you can love the martial arts aspect of it. You can all that stuff. But to step foot in there and fight another man, tooth and nail, in a pair of shorts and four ounce gloves, you know, I don't know if he's got that nastiness in him. You've got to have the ability to, when a man's already hurt, to grab him by the ears and drive your face into him as hard as you can and knock him out, you know? Because if you don't do that to him, he's going to do that to you. And, and it is a tough sport. It's a brutal sport. It's a beautiful sport. And the, the amount of time and effort it takes to become accomplished, to be able to do that, is, is extremely challenging. He could do that, but I don't know if he's got that nastiness in him to do what I just said. Yeah. We, we always ask fighters this, and, and it's something that, that we don't necessarily see too much of uh, in the film. Obviously, we'll get on to uh, the film and your fights uh, and, your, and your career, but we're always interested to know what what your process was before you walked out into so many 
ridiculously big crowds to the roar of that crowd. Like, what is that that sort of 10, 15 minutes before you walk out when you're in that room? What, what was your process, Mike? That's always the toughest part. The final little bit of preparation before you make your walk, even doing the walk and right before until the referee says fight, and it kind of builds from that point onwards. And it can be fear, it can be pressure, it can be nerves, anxiety, whichever one of those words you want to use. And, and that's when the self-doubt starts creeping in. And, and as I say, you can call it nerves, you can call it fear. You know, now it's never fear of the actual fight, right? Because we go and spar three times a week getting ready for a fight. You know, you kind of get conditioned as weird as it sounds. You take a punch to the face or whatever. That's not, you're not scared of the physical feeling that you're about to experience. You're, the nerves come from, am I going to win? Am I going to be successful? I've dedicated my entire life to this. And every fight is the most important fight of your life, you know, and it always escalates. And this determines where your career is going to go. Am I going to end up becoming a champion? Am I fighting for the, Are you going to be world champion? You know, or, or are you going to continue to grow in your mission to be there, to be a number one contender or whatever it is? And there's so many things you're asking yourself. You're like, did I do enough running? Is my cardio on point? How good is this guy's jiu-jitsu? Oh, I've heard he hits really hard. Can I take his punches? How strong is he going to be when we lock up? You know, and you're standing there and you're looking across your opponent when you're in the ring and he looks at you. And, and, and you're trying to act tough, you know, and you're trying to puff out your chest. But the reality is, inside, you're anything tough. There's so many questions. And people can, you know, maybe, maybe some, not everyone goes through that, but I think most fighters do. Uh, until you start fighting, and then it's then you're an autopilot, you know? And then you're doing what, you, what you've been trained to do. And, you know, you might win, you might lose. But that's always the worst part. And it's it, it, to have the confidence comes from the preparation. You know, so if you've done the work necessary, they'll give you the confidence. And to answer your question, and I've got a long way of doing so, I used to go sit down at a quiet part, uh, quiet part of the room, think about all the sacrifices I made, think about my family, think about my wife, my children, why I do this. Uh, and that's what I always did towards the end. And then I figured out that was the wrong thing to do. Because by doing that, I, I would, I would sit there and try and get myself in the zone. And this is what I'm going to do. But that's not the right thing to do. You've got to go out there and fight. Kind of with a carefree attitude, you cannot be angry, right? That's what I used to try and do. Think about all the sacrifices, everything I've done. <sighs> okay, let's get ready. Come on, serious. No, it, and it took me a long time. It took me almost to the end of my career. If you're mad, if you're angry, frantic state of mind, whatever you want to call it, you're never the best version of yourself. So how are you going to go out and fight one of the best martial artists on the planet? You've got to be, you can't be acting out of emotion or anything like that. You just got to be cool, calm and collected and in the moment, which is very hard to do in a high pressure situation like that. But that is the mindset that you want to have. Now, I'm not an expert. I only... I don't even think I mastered it, but I started realizing that and working towards that in the last few fights of my career. And and one of those being, you know, walking out of the O2. And I mean, you know, you're about to fight one of the greats, if not the greatest. And as you're, you're walking out there, you've got the roar of the fucking O2 and they're all behind you. Like, how does that feel? Just talk us through like them that minute or however long it takes. Like, does it go quick or does it feel like a lifetime making that walk? Yeah, um, it's it's it, it, every experience has been different, but it's one of the best feelings in the world. I'll just start by saying that walking out there and getting a lot of cr- uh, you know the crowd cheering for you, or even sometimes if you're in enemy territory, I just loved it as long as they showed emotion. But there's so much going through because, like, towards the end of my career, I had an eye injury that I was like, you know, ducking and diving the the doctors and all the rest of it, you know, and and 
there's a camera right in front of you and they shine this light, right? Because obviously for TV, it's going to be bright and in the old two, it's dark, you know, and the light's bloody blinding you and you're like, get out of the way, but this is all the part of the TV production and you're walking through and your cornerman behind you and there's a bloody camera right in your face and the light is actually blinding you and people are trying to grab you and you're like, holy shit, keep it together. <laughs> but if you're confident, if you've done your training, then you enjoy the experience for the most part. Yeah. Well, you... You mentioned the eye injury there, which is obviously a huge factor in in your story in uh, in and in 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 the documentary as well. Um, on that subject with the eye, obviously, like fighters taking performance enhancing drugs has had an impact on obviously your health. We just discussed your career as well. At one point, I think basically any losses you'd had were to fighters that either had or were going to pop for peds at some point it's had a real impact on your career and obviously you talk openly in the documentary about vitor belfort and and that fight and that kick that detached the retina in your right eye it was your right eye wasn't it yeah correct and um recently aljermaine sterling was on a, a podcast saying that he felt like anyone that had been caught taking peds in like a combat sport should serve jail time and obviously, if there's anyone in the world of MMA that has got something to say about that that we should all listen to, it's you. Do, do you agree with that statement that people that are caught with that taking PEDs in combat sports should serve some kind of jail time or, or be tried or something like that? I don't. I don't believe so. However, though, the, the, I could see the formulation of a case that you could prosecute someone uh, criminally because what... Just because you test positive, which, by the way, shame on you, right? We're not we're not playing football here. We're not trying to put a ball in the back of the net. We're trying to take out another man or woman with our bare fists. You know, that's the reality of the sport. And it can be very dangerous. It's already dangerous enough without people then chemically enhancing their bodies. So I, I, I'm, a hu- I, I'm massively, massively against that. Everybody knows that. Uh, but for that, maybe if you went in there and you, you, you beat somebody, like for what happened to me and they lose an eye, well, well, yeah, I mean, maybe a fancy lawyer could f- find the correct wording, but I get what Aljamain Sterling is saying there, and I appreciate it, but, you know, I mean, because the reality is as well, and I'm not making uh, um, excuses for them, sometimes there is there is some uh, occasions where I do believe it's accidental. They've ingested a, a supplement, because mm-hmm. I, I spoke to the guy that runs USADA who does the testing, because I didn't believe that nonsense for a minute. And he said, no, he said, the way it is, Michael. And, and he explained the whole process. He says, sometimes we have found that it was totally accidental, and there's different uh, supplements on the tools that they then start. Like they, They're all made at similar factories. In one minute, they might be doing one product, and then the next minute, they do, they're doing the next product. And they don't clean the materials down or something. So things get in, batches get contaminated. And again, it sounds nonsense, but that's what he told me and he runs USADA yeah. so I'm like alright well I've got to listen to him but anyway so Al Jermaine love you buddy but come on can't start throwing everyone in jail well I mean one of the other the big big turning points in your career seemed to be uh, moving over to America and joining up with Jason Perillo you've got the t-shirt on at the moment you got there the Perillo go. boxing <laughs> t-shirt on why was Perillo the man for you? What was it about your relationship, his dynamic ma- matched with yours that, that made him the guy that would eventually lead you to a title with, as you've just said, with one eye? 
So I'm not sure if it's in this one, but there was another one that I did years ago. So I'm getting confused. So my apologies. I think it might have been the UFC one that they did on me a long time ago when I won the belt. It's called My Destiny. And he says it best on there. He said, when he met me, he said he found, he knew he had a real fight on his hands. He knew he had someone with the drive, determination, and the physical qualities that you want and the skills. He said, but he had no direction. And I didn't. I was just going out there and fighting on, on instinct. You know what I mean? And, and, and I didn't know what I was doing. I was going from one fight to the next. I didn't, I didn't really know what I was doing. And I wasn't controlling my emotions, as I said. And that was one of the biggest things that he did. Of course, he improved my boxing and all, all the rest of it. And I had a great place to train. And we brought in great coaches. And we came up with game plans and things. But he worked on this more than anything. Because fighting is such a mental sport, believe it or not. Right? When you walk in there, you know, you can win or lose a fight. Uh, at the weights, you know what I mean? You can get a mental edge of, over your opponent. Or if, as I said before, going in there frantic, kind of wound up, being angry, you know, that's not the way to be. Uh, and I remember when I fought for the world title on two weeks' notice, I was filming Triple X in Toronto. I finished that, I flew down, I had two weeks. Well, basically one week to train and then it's fight week is what they call it. And I was always getting angry in training if things weren't going well. And my jiu-jitsu coach, Brady Fink, one day we're doing jiu-jitsu. He's a third-degree black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. That's what I've got him there for. He's good. So, like, he's getting me in positions, and I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ, and I'm, I'm flipping out, you know, because, because of the pressure, because of the pressure, and it's not going well. And Jason stopped me right then and there, and I'll never forget this. He, says, he said, Michael, listen. He said, you are now, you're at the pinnacle of the sport, Right? He said, after this fight, who knows? You might be champion of the world, but maybe you lose. Maybe you lose that fight, and maybe this is it. This is the best moment of your career, and it's not going to get any better. And there's thousands of people all over the world that want to be in this position right now. And as I say, I believe you're going to win the belt. I believe you're going to be the champ, but maybe you're not. And maybe this is it. He says, so how about we go through this next week with a fucking smile on our face? Mm. Or, or do you want to be angry? Do you want to be angry and, and feel the pressure and all the rest of it? Or should we enjoy this moment? This is a crowning of all your hard work. This is what it's built to. Head of pay-per-view at the legendary forum where Muhammad Ali has fought and you're fighting for the world middleweight belt. How about you smile? And we all go through this happy and enjoy the process. And I thought, wow, <laughs> can't argue with that. Cannot argue with that. And and uh, But yeah, that's one example of how he helped me on many, many occasions. And you, you mentioned about the weighing. And like, just, just talk us through, because you hear people say, you know, you can, you're looking into their soul when you have that stare down. And like, you know, did, would you take stuff from that? Like when you'd have them, is it just for the media or are you gaining something from looking them in the eyes? And, and you know, normally at a Michael Bisping weighing, you'd be telling them what you're going to do as well. And it was never a quiet affair. But like, you know, what would you get from that? Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And it's kind of threefold, you know, and, and I can't pretend that, oh, listen, it was all strategy and it was all this, you know, all mind games and blah, 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 blah. There was, there was three reasons. Number one, there is the psychology there, right? This is my last chance to get in my opponent's face and let him know, hey, bud, tomorrow night, you're going to be locked in a cage with me, okay? And I'm going to have my way with you, you know? And I definitely didn't word it that politely. But still, that's your last chance. And you might instill a little bit of doubt in them, a little bit of fear. They might be, they might go to bed that night going, oh, geez, I'll tell you what, oh, this, I'm in for a nightmare tomorrow, aren't I? He's <laughs> mental. Do you know what I mean? And it doesn't work on everybody, right? It doesn't. Some people are just, they're, 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 they're rock solid. They're, you cannot break their spirit or whatever. But some people it does, okay? Another side of it is you, you're trying to sell the fight to the public. 
You know what I mean? It's pay-per-view. You want more people to buy it. And I'll be honest, as a fan, it's lovely to see their the respected martial arts and they're all bowing to each other and shaking hands and wishing each other a great fight. And that is lovely. But as a fan, when two people are going at one another, you're like, oh, God, <laughs> this is going to be a good one. It's going to kick off tomorrow. So there's that side of it. But then I'll be honest as well, and I'll also say that when I'm fighting someone, it used to be, it's animalistic. It brings out that side in me, you know, and you're my enemy until it's over, until it's done. You're trying to, you're going to try and knock me out unconscious tomorrow. And I shouldn't have done, but I did. I used to kind of take that personally. And as I say, my rival, my enemy, and it depended what leaded up to it in that event. So, because not everyone was like that. I was often, you know, if, if they didn't say anything bad or, you know, they weren't, you know, like some people have said things about my family and whatnot. Well, well, that's personal. Do you know what I'm saying? And it goes to an, another level. But it wasn't always like that. But that's kind of, you know, the three kind of takes from that. Um, and I guess one of the the, the, the highest profile kind of uh, battles and and uh, war of words and trash talk was obviously with, with Luke, uh, who's in the film. Um, like surprised to see him in it. So where's where's the real? I mean, I did see something maybe a year or so ago on Instagram when you was in the gym and he was kicking a bag and you, you, yeah. you went and had a bit of banter with him. Where, where's the landline now? Your, your pals now? Yeah, listen, I I wish him nothing but the best. You know what I mean? He's friends with some of my friends, like Daniel Cormier. You know, them two are very, very close. I've got a tremendous amount of respect for DC. And I always said, well, if DC likes him, he can't be that bad. Do you know what I mean? And he is, he's all right. He's just misunderstood a bit. But more importantly, he had what I wanted. He, he, he was the champ. I wanted the belt. Simple as that. Uh, yeah, but we're all right. And I've got to say, it was very gracious of him to come on and do the film. Because uh, and, the, and we've got to thank Jason Perillo for that happening because the lads who filmed it, you know, the camera crew and whatnot, they went down to the gym. They was filming Jason and Luke was in town at the, at the time training with Jason. And he said, and Jason said, well, do you know what? I can shoot him a message for you and see if he'll do it. And as I say, fair play to the guy. He did. He, he said some bad stuff, but we edited that bit out. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, I'm... it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows no. coming out of Luke's mouth. But that's the beauty of editing, buddy. We got you, Luke. <laughs> no, I, I have to say, I was quite surprised because uh, I think the film, basically, at one point, you say, I don't like him. And then a few minutes later, he's in it. And I'm like, hang on a minute. <laughs> he must be yeah, all right yeah, with him yeah, as yeah. he's in the film as well. Um, yeah, yeah no, nah, he's all right. He, he charged you a lot, didn't he? Come on, let's. Uh... Okay. <laughs> well, well, well. The th- the thing was, I fought him two times, and the first time, you know, he beat me fair and square. But the reality of that fight is, that I, I last training day before I flew out to Australia, somebody kneed me in the face when we were doing jujitsu on the floor, trying to get out of a submission that I had him in, and it opened up a huge gash above my good eye, and. Um, that all got stitched up, but in the fight, he stuck a little leg butt on me that the, the referee didn't notice. And it sounds like an excuse. Of course it is. All fighters have them, but it's, it's true. So the blood was going into my good eye, right? And I kept wiping it away, and this eye doesn't work, right? And that, that's a story for another day. But um, so the blood's going into this eye, so I'm wiping the, and it was wiping my eye, but it was all smeared with red. So imagine if you put a tub of paint onto a windscreen of a car and you put the wipers on, it's just going to smear eventually, isn't it? So that's what I could just like see red. And I kept, and that's all I can see. And then the blood would come in again. So I'd wipe it. And on one occasion, he kicked me in the head and I didn't, I didn't see it coming. And he got me in a guillotine. God bless him. Good for, good for him. You know what I mean? But I couldn't say why it was, because if I'd have said that I was rumbled and I would never be able to fight again. Um, so I just had to, there was a bitter pill to swallow, but I knew I could do better than that. 
I knew because, you know, so that's why I was so confident when the opportunity came to fight him again on two weeks' notice. I took it gladly. How how scary was it for you? Because obviously we, we've mentioned the eye. You spent a decent part of the end of your career, as you said, kind of sort of tricking the doctors into clearing you uh, and then fighting with one eye. Were you were you ever at a moment going, Michael, mate, what? you're in one of the most dangerous sports in the world fighting some of the elite level guys, guys who a lot of media members and pundits wrote you off uh, against a lot of these top guys, not knowing about your eye situation. And then you're there with, with one eye. Did you ever have any moments where you went, "I, I, I think I should for my own health pack it in before you got to the stage where you actually did? Yeah, well, I remember, and trust me, that, that, that was the running commentary throughout my household and anybody that in the know or doctors or whatever, that was often said to me. Now, the thing was, I just moved out to uh, California, bought this big, stupid house that I didn't need. I had some fraudulent, completely made-up court case from my former management who weren't operating on the correct side of the law. They were shady characters. They were suing me, and that recently got thrown out of court recently, by the way. But that went on for 10 years, and it was costing me a fortune in legal battles. There was no way I couldn't fight. You know what I mean? This was all I had, you know? And I did trick doctors, and I did do whatever I needed to, and commissions, and I remember going into certain tests, and you know, they covered up one eye, um, you know, how many fingers were I holding up and stuff. And I had, this was at, you know, for UFC events, you know, you, you got to get cleared by their doctors as well. And so me and Prillo came up with the code, you know, if you hold up one forget <clears throat> just give a little cough and stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? Um, and I remember one time this doctor, he, he looked at my eye, I cheated on the test, I'd memorized it. It's a long story. Anyway, he says, uh, Michael, okay, well, you're clear to fight, but don't. He said, if anything happens to your other eye, you're going to go blind. He said, Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
and I'm sure you've got children. You want to see them grow old. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll consider it, Doc. All right, yeah. Ooh, it's a tough one, isn't it? I'll think it over. And I walked out of his office. I was like, fucking come on! <laughs> it was clear again to fight for another year. Was not paying attention to that whatsoever. And the way I always looked at it was, listen, detached retinas is something you hear about in combat sports, but it's not common. It happens here and there. And I thought to myself, well, light, lightning has struck. So lightning isn't going to strike twice, you know? So I continued to push it throughout my career. I was continuing to fight and I, I did not have a second fear. It never, it never, I never contemplated it for a moment that my other eye could go wrong. And then I lost my title to George St. Pierre. I, I took another fight a couple of weeks later when Anderson Silva tested positive for steroids. I knew my career was done, right? But he tested positive for steroids. They were actively looking for another fighter. And I always said to my wife, listen, when my title runs over, I'll retire. But then there was an opportunity to jump on a plane, fly out to uh, China, have one last fight, get paid again, and, 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 and end my career with a win. Do you know what I'm saying? So I did that. And in that fight, or after that fight, should I say, which did not go my way, I had no business being there. I'd just been choked out and battered for three rounds. You know, I had no... Yeah, beating another fight two weeks later was ludicrous, to be honest. But still, I, I gave it a shot. Do you, re- do you regret that uh, decision that- to, to take the guess? Because I have to say, as, as a fan, and I'll show you how much of a fan I was uh, in a bit, but like, as a fan, after that GSP fight, when I heard you took the Gastelum fight, I was genuinely concerned. We'd never met. I didn't know you. But I was thinking yeah. to myself, I don't think that's a good idea. Because I know GSP, he, he, he won by by the choke. but he caught you with a big yep. shot before that. And I was like, a month or less than a month, two weeks, whatever it was, that's surely not yeah, enough yeah, to recover. And so do, do you look back on it and go, that was a bit silly? Or, or do you think, no, I, did, I got that paycheck and it was... No, no, no. See, see, see for me, I, I always did this to take care of my family and give them the best life. And now, fortunately, I've got so much stuff going on outside of my fight career. It's all kind of linked to that, of course, but but... You know, post-retirement, life is fantastic. And as we know, for a lot of athletes, when they stop playing whatever game or sport it is, life can be tough, life can be tricky. Uh, and, and and I did this for my family, you know what I mean? So that, to me, yeah, okay, in hindsight, now life's going great. But my moment, of, my, my choice at that time was to get another big payday to help set me up financially and my family. Uh, my goal when I got into MMA, my goal was to earn enough money to be able to quit work, to go to college, you know what I mean? Do some training and, and, and try and have a career, uh, like a real job. You know what I mean? So it far exceeded all expectations. But after that fight, there was always an after party. The fight didn't go my well. We were at some stupid nightclub in Shanghai. And I'm sitting there, and every time I look left and then I look right, psh, I started getting flashes of light. And it wasn't the, the, the lights in the club or nothing like that. Every time I look left and then I look back, psh, there'd be a flash of light. And I was terrified because I thought, crap, I don't believe this. Uh, all my career, my doctors warned me, they begged me, so many people did, friends said, Michael, don't do this. And I always said, lightning won't strike twice. And now it has struck and I was terrified and I was, I was starting to cry in the nightclub and I thought, I've got to get out of here because people are going to see me and, and they're going to see me crying. I think, oh, he's crying because he lost a fight. Bless him. I said, no, I'm not crying because I lost a bloody fight. I couldn't care less about that. I'm crying because I'm going to go blind and I'm not going to see my children grow old. So I, I, I said, oh, lads, I'm, I'm just going to go to the toilet. And I went to the toilet and I, I ran out of the club and I just made it into a taxi before I broke down, bawling my eyes out, terrified, so scared. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. So, so there you go. I mean, so to, to answer your question, yeah, there was many times, and even then, after that fight, I, I, I was gonna, I was gonna do one more against Richard Evans because I wanted to come back, and I'd romance this thing in my mind that I was going to get to say farewell to all the people that supported me and put my gloves down in the middle of the octagon and all this. And, you know, and my manager said, what are you doing? What are you doing? You know, and then it was a good friend of mine as well said, Michael, you would give every penny you have ever earned to get your vision back if you go blind. What are you doing? I said, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. So, yeah, so that was that. But it's great to see you back in the octagon, this time with a microphone in your hand, though. So yeah. it's a lot safer space to be in there. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, the film's so open and honest. And as somebody that's followed your career, you know, your whole UFC career, there was so much in it that I didn't know about you. And I just wondered how you felt the first time you watched it back, you know, and see your life laid so bare for the world to see. Yeah, it's... So we've got the premiere at the Manchester Film Festival and I've got to go there and I'm going to be talking about it and answering questions. And I'm, I'm nervous about that. I'm not nervous about public speaking or nothing like that. Number one, sitting there and watching a movie all about me is very self-absorbed, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? But still, it is what it is. Uh, aren't I great, everybody? Do you know what I mean? That's not me. But still, I'm forced to have to talk about myself all the time. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I don't know how I feel. Listen, I'm proud of the film. And, and, and I believe there's, you know, it's not just all about, oh, aren't I a tough guy? It delves into the losses and the psychology that goes into that. And Joe Rogan says some powerful words. And Michael Jai White is a great martial arts actor. He really goes into the, the psychology of why fighting is so important to men, you know, some men. Uh, and and so, so that side of it all, I love and I love that it gives my journey. But yeah, it's a very raw insight. As I said, I'm, I'm not proud of every aspect of my life. I hate it when I have to sit here and talk like this. And then I say, and, you know, I went to prison and I was fighting all the time as a kid. That's not because I'm proud of it. It's because I look back on that phase of my life. And whilst I had some great friends and I had some great memories and some proper laughs, I was an idiot. I was an idiot with no direction. Uh, and I was making a lot of mistakes in my life. Um, but that is my story. That is who I am. And that's where I came from, you know. But I do also believe that there's... And again, I sound very American. Maybe I've been here for too long, but, you know, I, I, and I get told this all the time. A lot of people can draw some inspiration from it. You know, it's never too late to turn your life around, you know, and don't let circumstances and things like that hold you back, you know, and, and I made the most of what I've got. And I always say this, I believe that everybody has a skill. Everybody's good at something. You know, for me, it was fighting. As I said, that guy that I worked with, who said, Michael, have a think about what you're good at, right? And then, then let me know when I was working at that factory, I kept coming back to fighting. And when I spoke to him one day, he thought I was a bloody idiot when I said I was going to be a professional fighter. But I'm, yeah, but you don't know. You don't know who I am. You don't know what I'm made of. But what he was talking about there is that everyone's got a skill and everyone can take that somewhere, you know, but you've got to be, you sit there, figure out what your skill is, regardless of what it is. And then what is the furthest that can take you? Right. Because normally if you think about it and you've got a little bit of an entrepreneur, entrepreneur <laughs> uh, mind to you, you can take it pretty far and then you've got to put the plan in place mm -hmm. and then you've got to execute because everybody can sit there and talk about it. You know, then you've got to get off your ass and you've got to do it and you've got to start at the bottom. And that's essentially what I did. You know, I put this plan into place. This guy that told me about the UFC, he said, listen, Michael, I'm telling you. And, and for a young guy with, that was broke, me and my wife worked, we ended the week, you know how it is. It's, it's not an uncommon story. My wife was a dental nurse. I was working in a factory, both working. Still haven't got a penny to rub together. You know what I mean? It, 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 enough for a kebab and a couple of pints at the weekend. You know what I mean? Uh, 
And, and, and yeah, I forgot where I was. Well, you said about taking that journey far. I mean, you took that journey, you know, as, as no, a... No, sorry, no, he said to me, he said, he said, Michael, one day, he said, you're going to go to America. The, the champions are bona fide celebrities. He said, you're going to make a lot of money. He said, you're going to be doing uh, acting in movies and all kinds of stuff. So that was the dream that he sold me. Right. And that's what I always worked towards, even though my backup plan was to earn some money and go to college. There was that dream. And that's what I always chased after. And I guess I made it a reality. One of the things. Oh, go on, Stu. No, go on. No, I I wanted to say, because one of the things I've always wanted to ask you was. Because there's only few people in the world that can say they've, they've managed to do this, that. You're. You're doing what you love. And there are potentially millions of people, me being one of them, that are so kind of feel emotionally attached to you and what you're doing in a point in time. And I wonder, have you ever sat back and really comprehended what it is for like, for example, I, so I watched your, your defense of the title at the MEN arena. I was at my in-laws house and I got up early and went downstairs to watch it on the iPad. Cause I can't remember. It must've been someone's birthday coming out. And I was like, Oh, I've got to go to the in-laws and I'm, I've, I've got to watch yeah, this yeah, on the yeah. iPad rather on the big screen and all that stuff. So I go downstairs. It's like 5am or whatever. And I'm watching it on the iPad. And every time Hendo lands a shot or even gets close to landing a shot, my heart's in my mouth. I'm like, oh my God. Oh no, no, don't. And then every time you land a good combo, I'm like, yes, get him out. And I'm trying to suppress my noise so that I don't wake up my <laughs> wife and my mother and father-in-law and stuff like that. And I've never met you. I don't really know who you are other than what you show people at the weigh-ins and all that stuff. What is it like to know that there are, or maybe you're not fully aware of it, to know that there are pretty millions of people around the world massively emotionally attached to you, the outcome of your fights, your career, and you've never met them. And to be honest, you'll probably never meet the vast majority of them. What's that like? That must be mental. Yeah, it's a great question. And Thank you. <laughs> you know, I, I can sit here. Like, oh, <laughs> No, I, I could sit here and be humble, right? And, and I, I do try to be. I definitely, I haven't changed a little bit. I wish I could. It's too late now. I'm 42. That was up and now it's never going to. Uh, but but I, I do realize what you're saying. Because, for example, when I won the belt, the, the UFC arranged like a tour of England, you know, to you know promoting the UFC, yeah. let's be honest. But it was promoting me at the same time. And we went to the Trafford Centre, which is a massive shopping centre in Manchester. And I'm so, always so nervous. I'm like, no one's going to bloody show up to this. And thousands, literally thousands of people waited in line for hours to come up and meet me. And I've had grown men multiple times crying their eyes out and stuff. And, and like, it blows my mind. It blows, and it means so much to me. It really does. And I guess, because I never realised that they're, 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 like when I walked out at UFC 70, my first fight in England, the, the the roof came off the arena, the sound, it was so crazy. And I'm like, what the hell? This is pre-social media days, you know? And I didn't realize people had been watching me on TV when I was on The Ultimate Fighter. So they got to see an insight into me and my personality. So they all thought they knew me. And and the support I've had has, has just been insane. And I, I, I don't want to sound like a wanker saying that. But also at the same time, I'm doing a disservice to myself, but more importantly, the people that did support me to not acknowledge it. You know, and it's been incredible. And it's been something that I never, ever would have ever imagined possible. 
And it's not why I went into this, but the support I've had is ridiculous. And it was that reason why I wanted to do one more fight in London and push it a little bit further because I did, I was so grateful. And I did a tour recently, Tales from the Octagon, where it's like a one-man show where I'm talking. There was 3,500 people showed up in Manchester for it. It was crazy. And then at the end of that, what I do is I put my gloves down on the stage and I tell them I always wanted to do it in London in the middle of the Octagon, but I never got a chance to do that. So I'm putting my gloves down here and I, I dedicate this to you. And every time I did it, it gets a standing ovation by the way coming back in October and November next year so if you haven't got your ticket my ticket don't go right you get. <laughs> great segue but, but, but there we go but yeah it's you know to summarise it in one word it's mental it's mental mate it's mental it's crazy and I like even that so now I do a YouTube channel which I never thought I would have been doing the support I get on that is crazy I only just started doing it I've got 325,000 subscribers already like almost overnight and the comments and that I get back from people so enriching the things that they say. And I'm just a little idiot. You know, I'm a young lad. I'm still the same. I'm still an immature bastard. I wish I could grow up a bit more. I'm like now, I think I've matured to like a 25, 27-year-old. When I was younger, I was still highly emotional, like a teenager. Do you know what I mean? Uh, And and to see the support I get, I haven't, you know, I'm just a little lad. I'm I'm Mick from Clitheroe. My old mates call me Mick. I'm just Mick from Clitheroe. Do you know what I mean? And... The support I get, it means the world to me. It does. And I know I sound like a wanker for saying that, but it's true. And and that's not what I mean, but you asked me. And as I say, I'd be doing a disservice if I didn't actually say thank you to everyone for that. Uh, and Make no mistake, you've obviously earned every single thing that you've achieved. And some of these moments, you know, m- must have been like absolute fucking hell. This is surreal. And we always like to sort of mention to fighters imposter syndrome. And you've, reached the very top of the tree and you've been in that octagon and you've been on film sets. Has there ever been a moment where you've had that imposter syndrome? And we obviously mean that with the greatest respect, but I just thought, how am I here? This is, this is bananas or what I'm about to do. Like, have you ever experienced that? Many times, many times, you know, because I always thought, and I was always terrified that this, what I was doing right now was not a reality. And what I mean by that is that this is just, a, it's a bubble. It's a short moment in time. It's a blip on my timeline of my life. Do you know what I mean? And it's going to come to a crashing end. And yeah, it's a great ride right now, but it's not going to be long before I'm back down the job center looking for a job. Do you know what I mean? And clocking in again. You know, and, and I guess that attitude is what always what kept me humble and kept me working hard. You know what I mean? I remember stepping onto a film set in Toronto and I'm going to meet Vin Diesel and he's welcoming to the movie. And I'm like, what am I doing here? This isn't me. I'm, and I'm faking it big time and pretending I've been there a thousand times. Oh yeah. yeah. I'm going to go down the costume department later and get a fit in. And I'm like, what? Act like you've been here before. Act like you've been here before. Do you know what I mean? So it's been mental, you know, but, but as I say, because fighters, athletes, you know, life post-fighting or athletic career can be hard. And I never allowed myself to think I'd made it. I mean, it was, wasn't that long ago, really, that I did think, wow, finally, I think I've left that old life behind. And I remember it. I was driving off from the gym one day. I had a big fight coming up in Manchester. And it's when I still lived back home in Clitheroe. And I was driving past the King's Arms, which is a pub where I got arrested that night when I ended up going to prison. I was outside there. And I drove past it. And I drove past the pub. And there was a bunch of people outside having a beer and stuff. And that used to be my life. I used to be one of those lads outside there having a beer. Not that there's anything wrong with that. You know what I mean? I'm not judging people. Um, But I drove past and it gave me a flashback. And I thought, look at me now. I just bought a brand new bloody Audi S7. You know, I'm in a sick car. I've got a big fight coming up. And I just went, yes! 
to myself. It just, I didn't plan it. it. Just it just these emotions came out, and that was the only time I allowed myself a little pat on the back. Do you know? And I was like, "Yeah, we're doing all right, Michael." You know, we're doing all right. Well, you've definitely done more than all right. And we're, we're aware we're, we're getting short on time with you now, uh, but we really thank you. Yeah, I'm going to bail in a minute because i got the Believe You Me podcast oh. in there. And Kelvin Cates is jumping on, so I'm going to send him after you. But go on. I'll hit you, you with a couple of quick fire questions if you don't mind. Um, what felt better, beating Rockhold and winning the belt or beating Hendo and defending the belt in Manchester? I would like to say defending the belt in Manchester because that was such an important thing for me to bring the belt back home to the UK and thank everybody that supported me. But knocking Rockhold out in the first round, <laughs> jumping on top of that cage, and then having Dana White wrap the belt around you. Come on, man. That is, yeah, stuff of It's the answer I wanted, I'm not going to lie. Um, <laughs> so I, what, which other... I'm going to remove Leon Edwards from this equation because he looks like he's yep. probably going to fight I know for what belt. you're going to say. Who's the next British champ? Or title challenger. Or title challenger. Whatever, you've, whatever you think. Go on, go for it. Yes, so Leon is incredible. And, and if it wasn't for Kamara Usman, I think he'd be a champion. Now, I'm not saying he won't be a champion. I'm just saying Kamara Usman is yep. the pound-for-pound pound best guy on the planet right now. So he's got his hands full. But, I, but, it, but it'll be a hell of a fight. And he might win. But I'm just saying, yep. you know, it comes with that caveat because he's incredible. Uh, outside of that, obviously, we've got Darren Till, right? Darren's fallen on some tough times lately, but he's still only 28 years old. He's still a baby, mm. and I mean that with respect. There's a guy called Arnold Allen yes. doing great things. There's yeah, Lerone right. Murphy, right? The, the UK MMA has never been at his strongest, but in terms of the next title challenger, I think Tom Aspinall. Yes. And he's the main event at UFC London in March. I'll be there, to your point. It's going to be great to step back in that octagon in London. For me, it's going to be such a special moment, even though it's not about me. But when I step in there with a the microphone in my hand, it's just going to feel like a homecoming in many ways. And Tom Aspinall's 4-0 in the UFC, moves like a middleweight, gigantic, lifelong martial artist, and he's just incredible. And I wouldn't be surprised if he fights for a belt sometime soon. That's a great answer. And is there anyone you wish you'd have fought that you never got the chance to fight? I mean, you fought GSP, Anderson Silva. You've kind of fought the best of the best, really. So, But is there anyone that eluded you that you wish, oh, I wish I'd have fought them? Yeah, the, 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 there was a few. I always get a lot of stick for not, for not fighting Yoel Romero. Uh, Hello, you, Michael. Hello, <laughs> you, Robert Whittaker and Yoel Romero had a number one contender matchup. Yoel lost, okay? I went into the cage and I challenged Robert Whittaker. Robert Whittaker then got injured and then George St. Pierre came, so I didn't duck him. So, but maybe him because it would have <laughs> shut up all the trolls online. Rich Franklin was always somebody oh, that I admired yeah. uh, because he was the champ when I first went over to the UFC. There's many people, yeah, but we'll go with Rich Franklin for now. Great. Wonderful. Wonderful. Mate, Mike, it's been an absolute joy. Thanks so much for your time, mate. No, listen, I've absolutely loved talking to you. That hour absolutely flew by. Yeah, and seriously, if I could, I'd love to give you more time. Yeah. But well, uh, yeah, well, the podcast boys, they're going to be saying, where is he? Where is he? I bet you lot were cursing me because I was like three minutes late. <laughs> Trust me, they're worse than you. Only ever behind your back. Never to your face. I go. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's fine. Um, but yeah, no, honestly, mate, this is Well, been... that's how the British do all that <laughs> shit talk. <laughs> that's it. Honestly, this has been such a joy and a pleasure for me. I mean, I was there cage side at the Anderson Silver fight. Big Nog was sitting next to me. And when uh, when Anderson hit that flying knee, he stood up and I was like, no, fuck you, Big Nog. But obviously, I wasn't going to say anything. Yeah, and yeah, as yeah. soon as you won that fight, that fifth round, me and my brother were on our feet. We were just going nuts. Absolutely loved it. And uh, for me... 
you versus Andon Silva is the biggest, best sporting event I've ever been to live. It, it really was incredible for me. So uh, having this chat with you means the world. Thanks very much, mate. Well, I've had a lovely time. Thank you for those kind words. Really, really appreciate it. Really enjoyed the chat. Good luck with the podcast. And uh, I- I'm happy to talk again sometime. So Blake and Stu, great talking to you, fellas. Thank you again for the kind words. And uh, all the best. Thank you very talk much, mate. Thanks, Have a good Mike. one. Say hi to Calvin for us. <laughs> <laughs> Will do. Cheers, fellas. Cheers, Take bye. care. Bye-bye. Well, there you go. The Count. The Count. Count Duckula. No, Count Michael Bisping. Um, that, that was pretty... Just For me, that was just, like, quite an amazing thing. Like, yeah. I, I really did mean every word I, I said when I was talking about the silver fight being probably the best sporting event I've been at yeah. live. And it yeah. that just meant, it was just crazy for me that, that night. And then, and I also meant everything I, I, I said in regards to that, that Hendo fight. And there are certain fighters and, uh, and Michael Bisping, particularly in that Henderson fight, I remember it. But also I, I remember thinking the same thing when, when Conor McGregor walked out to, uh, to fight Chad Mendes and he looked so gaunt. And it was like one of the first fights, I think, when the Reebok deal came in. And I think they stopped the use of IVs for uh, people that were weight cutting and stuff like that. And at the time, I was very much on the McGregor train. And it's just some of those fighters... Uh, Connor and, and, and Michael being being two of them that you just like they just get you there's something in them that you just you, you get an emotional attachment to them and I think that's just both good and bad like they're divisive yeah. characters aren't they the Hendo yeah. fight there were so many people that you know that have been watching you know tough and wanted to see Hendo you know give it to the cocky English guy and you know it's, it's divisive and it's obviously God how many people tune in to watch Connor fight because they want to see Connor get served you know yeah. whereas you know the, the, you know the other half just can't wait to see you know the King of Ireland come out and do his thing it's, it's, it's them divisive characters are what makes you know fights super exciting because you know love them or hate them you want to watch them and, and, and yeah. Michael's definitely one of them fighters 100% Hundred percent, and just what a story! I mean, I feel like we could have got into more of it, and that's why, like the movie, the the Bisping movie that's coming out. I think uh, I've just realised I've chucked all my notes. March the twenty first, it comes. March twenty first, there, there will be an advanced um, premiere at the Manchester Film Festival. Um, was that on the March fourteenth? Fourteenth, and that's on the March fourteenth. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, and the movie's great. The documentary is great. Um, but having read his book as well, having the Quitters Never Win book, just, there's so much in there, and, and I had so many questions. I could have kept talking to him for hours and hours. And I mean, just the the, the, the what he went through, particularly with the eye, and they do a good right. job of showing you all that in the movie. Uh, and his book, obviously, if you haven't read it, is, is a great read as well for that. But like to have fought the people he fought, where he could only really see out of one eye. There's a bit uh, where he says in the film, put your hand over one of your eyes and try and do the most simplest of things. Yeah. You know, drive your car, whatever. Like, I'm not suggesting Don't do that. Go, Please don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> but, you know, and, and I sat there watching the film and the first thing I've done, you know, like a lemon, was put my hand over my eye and go, holy shit. And when he talks... You know, I don't want to give too many spoilers away, but you know, it talks about that silver fight and having one eye and the mouthpiece. It's really interesting. You see, yeah. you, you, I, I think if I went back and watched Michael's fights again post Belfort, I'd watch them very differently. 
Hundred percent. Uh, and and uh, yeah, just I, I really like his honesty. You know, I, I think he's always been very outspoken and and honest. And you know, sometimes it's got him in trouble. You know, he said the wrong things, but I think people like that honesty and. That there's no, there's no bullshit about him, is there? You, you know, no. You, you get also, what you say. And also, I feel like there's been an evolution of character. Like I think he he, he admitted to us in in this mm. chat just now, the person that he was years ago, the person he was on tough, all that kind of thing. He looks back on some of that and maybe slightly cringes and he looks back on the time before the UFC where he was maybe running with the wrong crowd and getting into trouble and all that. And he said the word shameful. He thought it was shameful. So you've seen an evolution of character now and Michael Bisping, the commentator, the pundit, the podcast host, is not necessarily Michael Bisping, the the fighter. And and also I think he said it as well. You, When talking about Callum and, and whether he's got that kind of nasty streak. So do you got to have a bit of a screw loose to do this? You can be a martial artist, but to actually get there in a cage and fight someone, there's got to be just something not quite wired the same way that most of the other brains in the world are wired. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I think that that's true as well. And that, that will come out of you in different uh, ways that might upset people um, throughout the course of your career, whether that be in the octagon, outside the octagon, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, uh, for me, I just thought that it, to, to have had Michael on the on the show is is a big thing for, huge, for me personally. Right? It's huge. It's, it's great. So, And I really hope everyone listening enjoyed that and takes a lot of inspiration from Michael's story um, and, and enjoyed our chat and, and goes and watches the, the documentary when it comes out. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, if you enjoyed that and it was your first time listening to uh, our podcast, then you can go and listen to, uh, I think there's about 74, five, 75 episodes now of the podcast and we've spoken to some other UFC legends, you know, um, Derek Brunson, Tyron Woodley, um, we've also spoke to the, the, the current champ, Alexander Volkanovsky, uh, and when it comes to sort of other UK MMA legends, Dan Hardy, Mark Goddard, legends in the making, Paddy the Baddy Pimlet, uh, I mean, some of the fighters well, that, um, that... That uh, London that, card, Tom, yeah, Tom Aspinall, yeah. Tom Aspinall, Arnold Allen, Jack Shaw, Paddy Pimlet, Molly McCann, uh, Corey McKenna, um, Jai Herbert, like all these people, we've we've spoken to all of them that will be on that that London card, which we're not exactly sure when this is going out, but we think it'll be coming. That London card will be coming up very very soon. Uh, in terms of like when this is released, it might even be a week or two away now. Yep. Who knows? Uh, so we've had all those guys on, and the likes of Ian Gary as well, and and, and Paul Hughes. Should we those guys over at Cage Warriors that will be the next big things in the UFC we hope um, yeah we've had some some terrific fantastic guests on Brad Pickett as well you talk about like legends of UK MMA Brad Pickett as well so yeah go through there and uh, we have these great in-depth chats with, with all of these guys uh, uh, some of them have been on twice and the most recent episodes will be kind of more short short Interviews where about like the fights upcoming and what's just gone on in their career and their lives and stuff like that. But the the first time we get any fighter on, as you've heard with Michael just now, uh, it's a really in depth chat about what uh, motivates and drives them as people, as fighters, uh, and how they prep for fights. All these kind of things that you as fans of MMA are interested to know. We we do all of that. So go back and find all the first interviews we do with with any of these fighters, and you'll get a real insight into their career, their motivations, and, and who they are. Absolutely. We done, mate. We are done. We've had 
the only ever British UFC champion on the show. It feels good to say that, doesn't it? It does. Oh. Let's hope we get to say it again soon, Leon. Tom, come on. Let's go. Let's go. All right, guys. We'll see you later. I'm still buzzing.